We sang that line, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And that's an awesome line to sing, but man, there can be times where we don't feel that. In fact, David writes this in Psalm 22. He writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. There are times where Man, it doesn't feel like God is close. There are times, and you may be there right now, where it feels like your prayers hit the ceiling. And you may feel like that's a comment on who you are. You may feel like you're a bad Christian. You may feel like, well, man, I just need more faith. But here's what you might need to know about David. Writing this psalm, David is a man described as someone after God's own heart. And so, man, you can have big faith, you can have strong character, and you can still go through moments where it just feels like God is distant. But here's the other thing. That's not where David stops. Because he goes on to say this, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, You are the one Israel praises, and you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. In other words, in the moments where you feel like God is not close, God is still there. He is still available, and he has not stopped being God. Your circumstances may be bad, but our circumstances do not change his character. He's still there. He's still good. He's still with you. He is still for you. And in light of that, David says this in verse 24, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. So Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray that no matter what we are going through, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, Father, I pray we would be honest with you, that we would be open with you, and even if we feel like you're distant right now, God, I pray in these next few moments you would show us how close you are and that you would lead us into the freedom that comes from following you. And Lord Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. So one of the things that I have learned in my almost 40 years of life, and I'm not 40, but I'm 90% of the way there, is that when your body starts throwing up big red flags saying, something is a little off, you don't just push through it, you stop and you do something different. For instance, when you're only two reps into your Sunday evening workout and you feel a pinch in your shoulder, you don't just keep pushing like you would have when you were 19 years old. You stop and you go do something that is maybe 
feels less manly, but is probably more helpful like some gentle stretching with your wife. I know this because this is exactly what I went through last Sunday. I've learned you don't do what I did as a 19-year-old as a freshman in college, and I've shared this before, but it was um, like our sixth week of fall practice. It's sprint day. I'm playing college baseball. I'm trying to impress the coach. And I felt something in my leg. It didn't feel quite right. But hey, who has time to deal with something that might be a problem when you're trying to make a name for yourself, right? And so I was like, I don't have time to deal with that. I kept pushing, kept running, and ended up with a serious strain that pretty much cost me my entire fall as a freshman. What I've learned in growing older is that when you feel something physically that's not quite right, you don't push it because if you push it, you might end up seriously injured. Here's the other thing I've learned. That same principle that applies physically, it also applies emotionally. When something feels a little off, in your heart, when something feels a little off in your soul, you don't keep pushing because just like if you keep pushing physically when something is off and can get seriously injured, when you keep pushing emotionally when something is off, you can become deeply spiritually broken. What I've learned is this, we have to learn to face our feelings Because feelings are feedback. We have to learn to face our feelings because feelings are feedback. Now, I know in the church, feelings get a really bad rap. In fact, you may have heard something like, well, well, you don't need to listen to your feelings. Feelings are bad. Feelings are not trustworthy. You should ignore them. You just need stronger faith. You need to, in fact, the way I used to put it was, you just need to suck it up, rub some dirt on it, and keep going. Feelings get a bad rap, and I used to be one of those guys that kind of poo-pooed feelings and that sort of thing. But the truth about feelings is feelings or emotions are not inherently bad. In fact, they are actually an indication of the fact that we are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27 tells us that God created people in his image, which means that there are things that are true about us as people that reflect the character and the nature of the God who created us. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And so what we know about God, we primarily know through the person of Jesus. And as you look throughout the Gospels, what you find is that Jesus expresses emotion. For instance, John chapter 11, verse 35 tells us that Jesus wept. He wept over the death of a friend that he was literally about to raise back to life. But he experienced sadness. In John chapter 15, we see that Jesus indicates that he feels joy. In other places in the gospel of John, John chapter 2, we see that Jesus experiences anger. In fact, makes a whip to drive people out of the temple that are misusing the temple. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 33 through 34, we see Jesus made the statement that his soul was so troubled 
that he felt overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We do not see a God that is static and unfeeling. We see a God who experiences feelings, who experiences emotions. Now, he experienced them perfectly. We do not. But the fact that we experience emotions is an indication that we are created by God. And God gave us the capacity to feel to give us feedback. You can think of feelings or, or emotions like, like notifications on your phone. If you get a notification that pops up, all that simply means is, hey, here's something you need to pay attention to. And it might be nothing like the big, large group text threads that have like 30 notifications on them. And you're like, I wish I wasn't a part of this, but I can't leave anybody have threads like that, have threads like that. Yes, we have threads like that. Or it could be an emergency from your wife, like a text I got from her about 10 years ago that said, I need you now. And if you don't check your notifications, you might miss something really important. So this is not totally related to the message, but if you're one of those who has like 99 plus unread text messages or missed voicemails, maybe the biggest takeaway for you today is check your notifications. But the same thing is true in terms of our feelings, our emotions. It's just the way God has wired us to indicate, hey, here's something that you need to take a little closer look at because if you don't take a closer look at it and you just ignore it and push it to the side and keep on going, there's a really good chance you're going to crash. And I know this not by observation so much as I do by experience. Going back to about 2014, when my wife and I sensed a call to start a church, I went about six or so years at a pace that was completely unsustainable. We went through multiple seasons of some very, very heavy emotional things to deal with, including my wife going through some serious um, medical issues that, that we didn't have any answers for. It included a season of us going through the loss of our first child through miscarriage. And I couldn't stop during that because we were in the middle of a building campaign and Mark and I were spending from dusk to dawn in here renovating this. So just kept on going, kept on plowing through. Of course, in the middle of all this, we started Life Spring and we saw God do some amazing things through it. And I just kind of kept going and kept going. I had at least two sabbaticals that I had planned, which I eventually just kind of pushed off and ended up not taking. Just kept going, kept going. We get to February of 2020. We had this incredible Sunday where we have like record attendance. We baptized 10 people. We're at a high point emotionally. And then March 2020 hits. And here's what happens in March 2020 for me. First off, COVID happens and the world shuts down. It did not shut down my world. In fact, Pastor Mark will tell you, we were more busy in the early days of the pandemic than any other time with probably the exception of just renovating this building because we had to reinvent everything. Like, like we had no playbook. They didn't teach us in seminary how to do church when the world shuts down. And so we're busier than we've ever been. Three days after our first online-only gathering, our first son is born. 
And so I'm sleep deprived. I'm going at an insane pace. I'm pushing down all this stuff we've navigated. I'm tired emotionally. And then the Monday after Easter 2020, I crashed. And I hit what was for me absolute rock bottom. And I entered into probably about a two-year journey where I've really had to recover from being completely burned out. And I think there's a good chance that there's some of you, maybe even the majority in this room, that in some way, shape, or form, you may not be at bottom yet, but you're heading there. And it may be an unsustainable pace. It may be tragedy you've endured. It may be life transitions that you're going through, but there's stuff in your soul emotionally that you feel, but you keep pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down, and running from it. And if you run from it long enough, you will crash. So today what we're going to talk about is how we learn to face our feelings and receive and apply their feedback in a way that is life-giving, heals our soul, and ultimately draws us closer to God. Four ideas. The first is this, and this is so, so important. My feelings are not a statement on the strength of my faith. My feelings are not a statement on the strength of my faith. Faith. We understand that if you're pretty strong and I'm, I'm average strength, I can curl these five-pound dumbbells without a problem, right? Let me just be really clear on one thing real quick. Um, I did not buy these. They're pink. My wife bought them. So I, I want to make sure nobody's going to take my man card today. They're pink. I didn't buy them. My wife did, and I use them for like shoulder exercises that are very, very light and that sort of thing because you don't want to lift heavy things with your shoulder. You might say, what are you doing right now? It's curl day, baby. I'm getting my workout in. I'm just trying to impress you all with how strong I am because I want big biceps like Craig Rochelle or our kids director, Tony Davis, or maybe that sort of thing. Here's the point. Here's the point. When you are physically strong, you can lift really light things, and you can lift them for a long time. And we tend to think that if you have big faith, you can lift anything, and you can go for a really, 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 really long time. But here's the reality. It doesn't matter how light it is. <laughs> it doesn't matter how light it is. I don't want to get hurt. That's why I'm stopping. Catch my breath. If y'all are laughing, y'all come up here and do it. See how long y'all make it. We tend to think if you've got really big faith, you can just kind of keep going and keep going and keep going and you never stop. These are not that heavy. But if I keep going long enough, I'll have as much trouble curling this as I would have trouble curling something about 50 pounds. Here's the point. It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. It doesn't matter how deep your faith is. You and I, we are still human beings. And we still have limits. And the truth is, even people with big faith can and do battle deep emotional pain. So I want to introduce you to a guy named Elijah. Let me give you some background of Elijah. Elijah is a spiritual giant in the Old Testament. 
He is one of two men to not die. Jesus died and came back to life. Elijah got a direct ticket to heaven. God picked him up in a fiery chariot at the end of his life and said, Elijah, you just come on. I don't know about you. That would be my preferred way to go. Like that would just be what I would want. But this guy's a giant, big faith. Big faith. He confronts a wicked king named Ahab. Ahab wants to kill him. Elijah's kind of on the run for his life. Elijah's like, hey, it's not going to rain until God makes it rain. So for seven years, no rain in Israel. And then Elijah comes back and confronts Ahab and says, hey, let's settle this thing. Here's what we'll do. You get all your 450 prophets of Baal. Get them all to Mount Carmel. I'll go up there. We'll both build altars. And whichever God answers by fire, that's the God Israel's going to worship. Like, you talk about throwing down the gauntlet. Like, like, that is a man's challenge right there. And so they go and do that, and the prophets of Baal do their thing, and of course, Baal doesn't answer. And Elijah's like smack-talking these 450 guys. He's like, hey, maybe your God is off in the restroom or on a business trip or taking a nap. Like, cry louder, and they cry louder, and nothing happens so then it gets to be Elijah's turn, and he ups the ante. He's like, hey, just like drench the altar, drench the sacrifice in water. So this thing is soaked, and then Elijah prays, and then God sends, boom, fire from heaven. It consumes everything. The people are like, oh my goodness, the Lord is God. And then Elijah's like, bring me all those 450 prophets of Baal, and he single-handedly kills all of them. Y'all, that is a man. That is a strong dude. And then God does send rain in answer to Elijah's prayer. This is like the peak of, of like ministry effectiveness. And then we get to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now, being on the run for his life was not something new to Elijah. Like, he'd been on the run for seven years. And by the way, he'd just seen God, like, kick the false prophets of Baal's butt. So, so like, he's up here right now. You would think that if at any point Elijah would be like, bring it on. It would be this, because my gosh, he just killed 450 guys, and, and this, this lady here is threatening him. He's just seeing God send fire from heaven, and this lady's threatening him. Like, like, you, like we tend to think if we'd been in Elijah's shoes that maybe been like, hey, God, that little fire thing, can you just, can you just do that to her real quick? It'd be great. But watch what happens to Elijah. Verse 3. It says Elijah was afraid, reigned for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, that's about a 100-mile journey, by the way. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Spiritual giant. Big ministry effectiveness. One threat, which wasn't unusual, from a lady 
sent him into a tailspin where he ends up all alone, isolated, and it's like, God, hey, can you just kill me now? Because I'm done with this. Y'all, it does not matter how strong your faith is. None of us are immune from an emotional crash. And if you run at an unsustainable pace, and if you never address the pain in your soul, then eventually it's going to catch up with you. And it caught up with Elijah. And I think so often the reason we fear facing our feelings is because we feel like, well, if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't feel this way. If I was really saved, I wouldn't feel this way. If I really had like big faith, I wouldn't feel like this. But you need to know, y'all, even people with big faith have seasons where they battle deep pain. Your feelings are not a statement on the strength of your faith. So go ahead and face them. And in the process of facing them, the second thing we need to know is this. I need to feel my feelings, but... I must not follow my feelings. I need to face my feelings, but I must not follow my feelings. About 10 years ago, a friend of mine confided in me that he had developed feelings for a woman who was married. Now, let's tease this out real quick. Were those feelings real, yes or no? Yes, those feelings were real. We get in trouble a lot when we we just try to pretend the feelings don't exist. At that point... Had he stepped into sin yet? He No, he hadn't gone and committed adultery. But could he just follow his feelings? No. Because that would have led directly into sin. We do need to feel our feelings, guys, and we have to face our feelings because feelings are real. But we also need to understand this. Our feelings are often faulty. Because they can be warped by sin and often are warped by sin. But not only that, our feelings also will often lack perspective of the big picture. And when we follow our feelings based on this idea of, well, just follow your heart, or if it feels good, do it, or whatever you're feeling, just chase that down, that's when we end up making some really unwise, poor decisions, kind of like Elijah did. What did he feel? He felt fear. Was that fear real? Absolutely. But then in following that feel, he makes some really unwise decisions. He's already tired, and I can speak from experience. When you have a big day of ministry, you feel tired, But what does he do? He doubles down on exhausting activity. He runs. He takes a 100-mile trip running for his life. Then he isolates himself, leaves his servant, goes further, and then he ends up with this really warped perspective that just simply lacks 
perspective. It says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, that the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. In other words, God, I have tried, I have run, I have been faithful to you all my life, and it feels like it's been a waste of time. I'm no better than my ancestors. It just feels like I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I can't make this happen. I'm done. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, this, 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 this perspective completely lacked perspective. But he ends up in this place exhausted, isolated, by himself, and really, if we did not to put too fine a finger on it, wallowing in self-pity because he followed his feelings. Y'all, your feelings are real. You need to face them. But you must not follow them because feelings are often faulty and they lack perspective. So when we get our feedback from our feelings, what do we do instead of following? And the third idea is this. I must filter what I feel through what God says. I must filter what I feel through what God says. I love coffee filters because there's nothing more disappointing in the world than getting your coffee poured and stirring it up and then you've got grounds in it. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, like if I go to Dunkin' Donuts and there's grounds in my coffee, that's a problem because coffee grounds make coffee useless because apparently something went wrong with the filter. And nobody in their right mind would be like, you know what, these are pointless. Let me just grind the, grind the coffee, dump it in water, stir it up, and drink it. None of us would do that. We understand that, yeah, the coffee beans are fine, but in order to be useful, they have to be filtered to be something life-giving and enjoyable. Here, here's the problem for, for a lot of us. Here, here's where I ended up and how I ended up crashing. We will take our feelings and we'll just ingest them completely without filtering them. And it's about as good as ingesting a cup full of coffee that hasn't been filtered. That's how we often end up at rock bottom. Cause things overwhelm us and we just drink the whole thing. Whether we're talking about fear, whether we're talking about panic or depression or anxiety, or if we're talking about sinful temptations like lust or like pride or self-centeredness, we just take our feelings and we fail to filter them. What do we filter them through? You filter them through what God says. Check this out. Verse 11 the Lord said, in fact, if you've got a print Bible, just to circle the word said. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. 
Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Watch this again, though. The Lord said, circle the word said, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And then he says this, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What was the game changer for Elijah? It was what God said. Now, man, notice, God did not be like, God did not say, Elijah, you just need to suck it up, man. Get over yourself and just, and just stop feeling what you're feeling. God did not dismiss Elijah's feelings, but God did speak truth to Elijah. What did God give Elijah? He gave him his word. He gave him an assignment. And he gave him community. In fact, those won't be on the screen, but you can jot them down. And I would argue those are the things that help get you through rock bottom. First off, you need the Word of God. I say this all the time, y'all, but there's nothing better than being with Jesus through His Word. And the single greatest habit you can develop is a habit of daily meeting with God in His Word so that when, not if, when you go through rock bottom, you will have a filter to filter things and discern what is actually True. And oftentimes our feelings feel like reality, but they often misrepresent it. You need a filter. You need the filter of God's word. God gives us an assignment. By the way, you need to know if you're not dead, God is not done with you. Don't mail it in. Don't throw it in the towel. God has a purpose for you. This is one of the reasons we talk about serving on a team, man. It's not just to give you something to do, man. It's to, it's to help you discern, man, what is the assignment God has for me right now? How do I walk that out? It is to get you actually beyond you. We like to say that the mission moves us beyond us. And one of the best ways you step out of rock bottom, out of the emotional fog, is you take your eyes off of you and turn them onto serving other people. There is something life-giving about pursuing the assignment God calls you to. And then the third thing he gives Elijah is community. We like to put it this way, that we are at our best together. That's why we have connect groups. It's another reason why we have volunteer teams. It is to get you connected to people because here's what I can tell you. You will not make it through the crash alone. You need, the Lord, you need the Word of God, and you need the people of God. And when you've got that, it will help you do the fourth thing, which is this. I must follow what God says instead of how I feel. I must follow what God says instead of how I feel. Here's the thing. 
There will be times when God says it. You won't feel it. So what do you do? You follow what God says instead of what you feel. And this is exactly what Elijah does. Verse 19, it says, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come back or come with you. Look how Elijah responds. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? You you can almost feel like the exhaustion in Elijah's voice. Like, okay, you go back. Like, I don't know why I'm asking you to do this anyway. I'm just kind of doing this because God told me to. But the point is he did it. He did exactly what God told him to do. And then it says, Elisha left him and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And he actually will succeed Elijah as a prophet. Here's something you need to know about following God in faith instead of following your feelings. There is someone. It may be a child. It may be a grandchild. It may be a spouse. It may be a friend. It may be a coworker. It may even be someone you don't even know yet, but someone down the road in your life or maybe in your life right now needs you to follow what God says instead of following what you feel. Because somebody's destiny, somebody's calling, somebody's future is being set up by God and God's desire is that he works through you to call them into that. But in order for us to experience that, in order for us to see God use us in that way, we cannot get stuck on how we feel. We have to follow what God says in faith, even when we're not feeling it. By the way, I would argue this is exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Because the night before Jesus was crucified, when he told his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he went and prayed and he said, Father, if there's another way, show it to me. Because he knew what was coming. He knew the physical agony he was going to go through. He knew what he was going to go through in bearing the weight of God's wrath against sin from the beginning of time to the end of time. He knew what was coming. It overwhelmed him. The the gospel writer Luke actually records that he actually sweated blood, which is a medical condition induced by extreme duress. No one has felt stress like Jesus felt stress in that moment. And yet he said, yet not what I will, but what you will. And scripture tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Therefore, God has raised him to life and has given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, trusted his Father. And trusting his father took him through the crucifixion, but it also led him to resurrection. So today, 
Where do you need to follow God in faith instead of following your feelings? And I'm not going to say it's going to. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. I can promise you it won't be. It'll be a battle. But there is life, there is hope, there is joy, and there is peace and purpose on the other side of it if you'll follow God in faith. And then not only that, there's an impact waiting for you on the other side. But you got to follow God in faith instead of following your feelings. So Heavenly Father, I pray that we would filter what we feel through your word today And that even though what we may be feeling is certainly very real, God, I pray, we would instead choose to respond in faith instead of simply following how we feel with heads bowed and eyes closed. Here's your opportunities for response this morning. The first thing you need to know is you are not alone. If you're here today and you're carrying a burden, here's what I want you to do. There's a rack in the back. It's got some paper clips on it. It's got some cards next to it. Man, step back there. Write down your prayer need. You'll have somebody pray for you this week. God gave us the church to bear each other's burdens, and it would be our privilege. It would be my privilege as your pastor to bear yours. Perhaps today what you need to do is you need to remember what Jesus went through for you. You need to remember his life, his death, his resurrection. If that's you and you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to take communion today to remember what Jesus did. Now, we always want to make clear communion is only for followers of Christ. Which leads me to this. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe the battle for you is you feel something in relation to God and maybe it sounds like, I'm not worthy. I'm damaged goods. God would never want me after what I've done. And here's what I can promise you. He absolutely wants you. It's why he sent his son to die for you. And today he invites you not to follow what you feel, but to follow what he says. What did he say? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if today, that's your next step, you need to give your life to Christ, you can just do that right where you sit. And God is not looking at a magic prayer, y'all. He's just looking at the posture of your heart. But it might sound something like this. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, and I need your grace. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. And today I give you my life. I repent of my sin. And from this point forward, I'll follow you. And if that was you this morning, there's a box in the back of the room near the Smithfield sign. It says next steps. Just drop back there, fill out a connect card, indicate you gave your life to Christ. We would love to follow up with you, celebrate with you over what God did, and come alongside of you to help you take your next steps in your journey with the Lord. So I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and sing. And as we do that, you respond according to how the Holy Spirit leads. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, work deeply in our hearts. Make us open to what you want to say. 
and give us the courage to follow what you command us to do regardless of what we feel in Jesus' name. Amen.